Hey, we're asking the, uh, the question in our series of, uh, you asked for it, what's God up to in the issue of world missions? And so if you have a Bible, go with me to James chapter 1, and in a little bit we're going to talk about that. I'm also going to invite some people on stage with me to talk through what God is up to in, uh, in his kingdom, in his church, really, around the world. We're going to talk about that just in an open forum, and then I'll We'll open God's word together. But <clears throat> I think a, a good place to start is to remember what Jesus told us when he said, I, I want you to go make disciples all over the world. And he said, I'll be with you wherever you go and wherever you do that. That's kind of the mission or commission of the church. Matthew chapter 28. And sure enough, you see Jesus caring for uh, people who can't care for themselves. You see Jesus caring for children. And in a culture that didn't even value children, he seemed to care for them more than uh, what we, we thought as being prudent. And in the midst of all that, uh, lives were changed and people were touched. And that's all a good thing. And so today what I want to talk about is how God's um, moving in the lives of particularly families and churches, but particularly as it relates to children. And so we're going to, uh, I'm going to invite some friends up on stage and you'll just enjoy hearing from them for a few minutes. So I'm going to ask uh, Clyde and Cynthia and John, of course, Pastor George, meet me up here at the front. And uh, this is really nice. Here they come. Hi. How are you, brother? Sister, good to see you. Brother George, good to see you again, man. Good to see you. And John, as always. Yeah. Have a seat. This is Clyde and Cynthia, and um, nice shirt, Clyde. Yes. So where have you been? Guatemala. Guatemala. Did you get the shirt there? Yes. Yeah. All right, so here's the, the hard question. You and Cynthia have been long, married how long? Why would you do this to me? Okay. How long, Cynthia? 34 years. 34 years. That's it. I thought... I thought since you were listening in first service, you'd remember that answer. That's all. I, I was trying to pitch you a softball. I think Sorry. I'm a bit canatonic then. I don't know what you, happened. You don't, you don't know what happened. Okay. That's right. And Cynthia, you have one son. One son. And he, Stevens. Stevens is married in North Carolina. Yeah. But you, you two went together to Guatemala. Yes, sir. Yeah. And how many times have you been, Clyde? Fifteen. Fifteen times. Yes. And Cynthia? One. Yeah, this is your first trip. Yeah. And uh, do we have some pictures of the, of the Guatemala trip? You, you fly out. By the way, how, how far of a flight is that? It takes about five hours travel time. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Mm -mm. No. Not bad at all. Yeah, I've had longer trips to Akron, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> but it was worth it. It's Akron. So, Are we, are we getting some? Oh, oh, do you have a video clip? Yeah. Oh, this is really cool. Uh, we also did another feeding program at another location that was remote. And Joy Fest is nothing more than setting up a trampoline and uh, mm -hmm. moon bounce house, sure. face painting, mm -hmm. uh, snow cones, those types of things, and let the kids just be kids again. Yeah, uh, They don't have the opportunity to do that in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, they work from sun up to sun down in the field. Sure, uh, The ones that's not in the field are taking care of the young ones. Yeah, And you'll see them have the children tied around them. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, like this young lady here, and she just looks so sad, and Cynthia stayed there and stayed there, so you've got to smile one time. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So Cynthia, what was it like? Initially, when I went to this program, it took everything in me to contain myself. Mm -hmm. I actually had to go into the ladies' room for a while. Mm -hmm. Because the little people that are four and five years old have a responsibility mm -hmm. of taking care of their siblings. Wow. And they might have two young ones with them. Mm -hmm. About 15 minutes later, I emerged, and I was ready to serve. Yeah. But it was overwhelming emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, overwhelming. Yes, that's yeah. one thing. The traffic, chaotic. Uh -huh. Like I said, there are no speed limits. Yeah. They're going as fast as they can to get where they're going, even if it's a few miles away. Mm -hmm. In and out, zipping in and out. <laughs> the buses are overloaded. People are pretty much, I mean, the doors are opened, and there are people actually standing in the doorways. Yeah. Thank God for the bus system that we have here. Yes, yes. And yeah, nothing will make you appreciate. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. I appreciate yes. what we have here. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a, just a one or two week trip will make us fall down and kiss the ground, you oh, know? Yes. Yeah. It, was, it was humbling in a lot of ways mm -hmm. because I'm looking at it just more from the standpoint of being a woman. Mm -hmm. The women were overwhelmed mm -hmm. with just life situations. Sure. They were haggard, mm -hmm. toothless, mm -hmm. lots of children, mm -hmm. hopeless. Yeah. And many of them looked as though they were embarrassed because their clothes are tattered. Sure. Their feet look like old leather. Yeah. And they just didn't yeah. have the things that I have. Yeah. Like you have. Yeah. And it was a experience. Sure. This is uh, it's a lot. Go ahead. One of the things that's significant, um, I was anxious to get my wife to go on a mission trip with me. Um, but I told a missionary back in November, I said, I want Cynthia to come, but she doesn't sleep well, and she'll sleep less with a team. And she said, why don't you bring her on your own? I said, really? I can do that? Yeah. I said, yeah. Clyde, you're family. You've been here for all these years. Yeah. So um, we went down, and that, that's what made the trip. But I, what I was going to tell you is one of the I got was to take my son down as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And it really impacted his life. It turned his life around. He sure. came home. And he looked at the stuff in his room and he said, Mom, he said, you know, a whole family would be living in this bedroom. Mm -hmm. He said that um, we've got too much stuff. Yeah. And it changed his life. It really did. Yes. Yeah. I would encourage every parent that can, take your children on a mission trip. Okay. Don't send them. Take them. Take them. Take them. Yeah. That way you will be serving together. It would be mm -hmm. one of the most blessed experiences you will ever have. Yeah. Wonderful. And I thought I could never serve on the mission field because I don't have a college degree for that. I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I mean, I, I train and I used to teach uh, uh, mechanics. So I said, I can't ever serve. And this one guy, um, youth pastor, asked me, said, Clyde, we need you to go. I said, for what? He said, we can really build something. We don't know how to build anything. I can build stuff. I know how to build stuff. And he said, well, come on. So I signed up to go. And I'm telling you, my life was transformed. It was in 1991. And I've been going ever since. 
So just like everyone sitting here think they can't do that, you can do it. Yeah. God does not want your ability as much as he wants your availability. Mm -hmm. That's good. Good stuff. And the food you provide, the shoes, the things that you offer, uh, it's... Uh, Offers a little bit of hope, but really, I'm looking for the lasting hope. This is all cycled through a, a local church setting, right? So there's a gospel preaching, yes. Bible believing. Every time. Yeah, place. Yes. Which is huge. Tell us the name of that individual. Mike Black Ministries, uh, and Mike and Pat has been in Guatemala for uh, approximately 25 years. They just celebrated 25th uh, anniversary there uh, in Guatemala. And they adopted uh, four four boys okay. and these boys were well when we met Perfilio he was the youngest he was the first one to get adopted mm -hmm. he was equivalent to my son when he was six years old but Perfilio was 13 at the time and he worked from sun up to sundown in the field and he lived off coffee and uh, bread mm -hmm. that was it there was nothing else so when you size of your six-year-old son when yes. he was 13 so it's size thing yes yeah big time size thing yeah wow all right thank you for sharing your story i'm going to skip down george i'm going to skip past you to get to honduras down here with john how you doing john good i'm doing good good you've been to honduras you've been to papa new guinea to do a church a building a house building yes but, uh during the, my first trip was in 2010 um and God really put me kind of in the deep end. Uh, my first trip was in the middle of the Papuan jungle, um, literally in the middle of nowhere, um, to help a missionary uh, with an unreached tribe. I was probably amongst the first few um, Westerners, white people, all these people had ever seen. So it was kind of a really interesting experience and uh, culture. So, so what I want you to think about is if, if you'd never seen a white person before and the first one you saw was John. <laughs> What, what was it like for these people, John? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's like seeing an alien. I mean, I try to quantify like, what it would be like for me and experience yeah. you know, to relate. And I, I feel like that's if I was walking through Safeway and I turned around and there was a green Martian with a shopping cart. Yeah. I would stand and stare and I'd you know, kind of just not comprehend what I was seeing. And that's kind of, you can see that's what they are yeah. doing. You know, and they touch your arms and they yeah. keep touching you because they can figure yeah. out like, you know, what, why your skin was, you know, they thought there was something wrong with you because your skin was... Yeah. Looks sick, so. Yes. But um, <laughs> that, was, that was my first trip, and that was, I mean, really intense, six weeks in the middle of the jungle, 100 degree temperatures, plus yep. humidity and, and yeah. everything, and some really, um, really life-changing experiences there. And then uh, February this year, I went to Honduras on a trip, on what was a, a building trip. These are the pictures right here. Um, and that was to help uh, pour some concrete in some houses and help. Okay, that's uh, what I was talking about with the concrete foundation. Oh, yeah, this is Honduras, yeah. Yeah. And we poured a, it, this, that was, a, I think it was a 24 by 24 slab, and it's all mixed by hand. You shovel big piles of concrete together, and then you just wheelbarrow in one wheelbarrow at a time. And so 24 by 24. Yeah. Two-car garage. Yeah, it's basically a two-car garage. Is what, that's, that's a family's home right there. And um, also the ministry there is called Casa de Luz uh, for the missionaries. Uh, it's called means House of Light. They have two uh, daycare centers, one in Tegucigalpa, which is the main capital city there, mm -hmm. and one in Sombrano, which is the town in which they live. And they minister to children that don't really get much of an education. They kind of bring them in, they share the gospel with them, they feed them, and they get to just know the community and be involved yep. in the community. So while I was there um, on my... Uh, building trip 
Um, I got to show in some, uh, some of the people on the trip with me some of my firearms training videos and I do competitive shooting and stuff. And they recently had started to form a security team. The missionaries there, every one of the missionary families, um, or everyone in, every one of the members of their family had been mugged at some point. Honduras is a developing country and crime and, and corruption is real prevalent there. And about a year and a half ago, they got held up at gunpoint with um, about six guys in battle covers, you know, assault rifles. And they looked like they were getting ready to be kidnapped, but we think at the last minute they kind of changed their mind, realized that these were Americans, so they just beat them up and stole their truck. Well, then the board of directors that they're under said, All right, we need you to continue your ministry, you need to get a security team together. Um, just someone that will give you some degree of protection while you're conducting business throughout the, um, through in the main city and in sure. the town. So um, while I was there, I was showing these videos, and they had just started to form um, a team. They got a few people that they trust. And because Honduras is a developing country like other developing countries, uh, corruption is real bad, and you can't go to like bodyguards or us and hire a bodyguard. Because uh, the problem <laughs> is you don't know who you're getting. You could end up being sold out by the very people you hire to protect you. So it's easy to find people that you can trust, that you know, you know can't be bought, and then train them from there. Uh, so they are just starting out, they're a new team, and me being a firearms instructor, um, I started talking with them and said, oh, this is awesome, you know, God has placed you here for a reason <laughs> right now. So now, June the 9th, I'll be heading back to Honduras to uh, start teaching the security team some basic firearms training um, and basic defensive st skills, uh, shooting skills and stuff like that. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, and it's... I, I, I could have come up with a million reasons uh, or a million things that I thought God would be, get me to do on my next trip, but this wouldn't have been one of them. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of excited now. I want to learn a new skill just because I want to see how God is going to use that for the next adventure I go on. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of racking my brain what I want to do. I'm a scientist, an astronaut, you know, maybe I can go preach on the moon. I don't know. But the, the, the possibilities are limitless, and it doesn't matter what you do, um, what your spiritual gift is, what you do for a living, there is a need for it on the mission field. There's a need for it locally, regionally, yep. um, internationally, whatever it is, there's a need for it. And anybody can do it. I'm, um, I think God has geared me up in life to kind of towards uh, international missions, um, but like Clyde said, it's, it's a life-changing experience. Yep. And you can't learn anything about the world by watching the news, because the news does not represent what is going on in the world. And it doesn't, I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat or any right of now, that right? political news. Um, the news will always show you, you know, um, a particular event that is going on at the time. What it won't show you is the families and the relationships and the little cultural differences that, that you never know exist until you have been somewhere. So. I'm taking it from now, you won't learn anything. It doesn't matter what documentaries you watch. Because I, I, you know, before I went to Indonesia, I w watched documentaries because I wanted to learn about the culture. Well, documentaries are nice, but again, they want to show you that what is deemed the interesting stuff. They don't show you those little, little bits when you're there sitting in the silence in the middle of the jungle and you see something and you see two tribes people interacting in a way. Like that never gets, you never see that unless you're physically there. Um, so I'd encourage you to go. If anything, it will just give you a real perspective of what the rest of the world sure. know, is doing. So, Neat. Um, definitely. This world missions thing is accessible. Clyde is, is telling us anybody can go. John's telling us whatever your skill set is. It, Cynthia is telling me it, no matter what you do, it's going to be overwhelming in the sense that you'll feel helpless. But it's humbling. It makes you know just how much you can appreciate what you do have. 
and the, the skill set that you do have too. Um, because your background really is construction, right? Yes, that's, my, that's what and, I've been doing for, for a living. And, and, uh, but this firearms piece, who would have seen that coming? Nobody. I mean, you, you would have, no. yeah. You don't imagine that, you know, being part of a ministry, so. Right. Yeah, part of the firearms ministry at South Potomac. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When they come with their faces all painted and, you know, kind of that, that's right, yeah. that jungle clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Same. That's, that's cool. This picture right here, if you pause it, this picture, actually, this is me giving a basic firearms lesson in the back of a pickup truck on a dirt road to one of the security guys. I happen to have my laptop and I got it out and I'm kind of, the lady in the middle, um, Jolice, is translating for me to the, to, the, uh, <laughs> to the security guy and I'm basically telling him, you know, point the gun in a safe direction, do all the kind of basic stuff. So it was just kind of a introductory trying to get what we can i've got four days or five days of training while i'm there and we're pretty much learning you know we're learning the very basics from the beginning and kind of working yeah. our way up so yeah. probably in the future there's going to be another trip uh, down the road well i'll, I'll go back again and sure some more stuff. so if you are mad dashing loving firearms see john after service today <laughs> yeah you go on the next trip that's right it, it'd be cool and um uh Gun runners for Jesus. I can see this thing kind of developing right now. <laughs> well, you've hold out of the machine gun preacher. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, so you, you take off June 9th. Yes. You still need to raise a little bit of money. So if, if yeah. you'd like to contribute to that cause, that'd be a good one to contribute yeah, towards. Yeah, see me after church. And if you want to donate a bit, give me your email because I want to you know, email updates, send photos, let you know how it's working and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'm excited to go on the ship, but I already know off the bat that God is going to show me something else while I'm there. Yep. So I'll be doing the training and stuff, but I, guarantee, I know it because he's done it yep. on every other trip. Every yeah. time you step out in faith and you just say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to serve you, show me, he'd, he'd, you know, exceed your expectations. That's so cool. Thank you for going. Sure. All right, everybody say hi, George. Hi. Welcome back, brother. Thank you so From much. From Nairobi, Kenya, east side of Africa little village called Lucky Summer. Heart and Soul is the name of the church. And uh, you have been there through us. We've had a team go. And, yeah. and uh, so, George, welcome back. So tell us about your wife and the kids and family and just start that way and then we'll work our way through some slides. Thank you so much. You remember I mentioned this, I think, on my first trip. I have nine children, me and my wife. Mm -hmm five adopted and uh, four biological. Mm -hmm. They're doing good. I spoke to them before I went to sleep yesterday. Okay. And uh, right now uh, they told me that their service is over like four and a half hours ago. Yeah. That is for their Sunday. So they're doing good. Good. Mm -hmm. And how's, how's Jackman? How's the home life? Is it good? Um... By the grace. Yeah. 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 We are doing good. Yeah. Nine children. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of scary, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's my clue to keep, <clears throat> keep moving forward. Then. Sure. Don't, don't yeah. ask yeah. any more questions about yeah. that, Dave. When one is away, you will, you will want to call him or her back because yeah. this, the gap is wide. You know, it, yeah. it's enjoyable. Yeah. You've been in the States for th three weeks? Yes. Um, I came on, uh, I think it was on 24th. Mm -hmm. And I came for the usual conference. Yeah. Uh, 
um, with uh, with an organization called CAFO. Mm-hmm. Um, CAFO is Christian Alliance for Orphans, so they do always every year um, world kind of conference. Mm-hmm. People come from around the world, and I happen to be one of the regional leaders in Kenya with the adoption movement, mm-hmm. popularizing this within the society. Yeah. So uh, they every year invite me in. Sure. So CAFO this year was in Nashville, Tennessee, and just like John said, there are nuances to every country. You know, you can go to certain corners of the country. I was telling George, Nashville is not a normal part of the country. You're, you're in the world of country music there, you know. Yeah, they surprised me also, you know, after dinner they gave us some pudding and, and they, somebody told me, George, do you know what this is? I said, well, I'm just eating. <laughs> and, and he said, this is banana, banana pudding, yes. you know. And, but when you are in the, in the south, you call it nana pudding. Nana pudding. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I will change it. You know? <laughs> Every restaurant there has a live band. You know how it's, it's, it's a music city. And that's an unusual mm. subculture within the U.S., but a great place. But that was the, that was the place for the... The Christian Alliance for Orphan Care, and it's a, it's a national conference, probably 2,500 people were there, keynote speakers are talking about adoption and orphan care worldwide, okay? That's a huge issue, and one we have to get our heads around as a church of Jesus Christ. George was part of a presenter there and, and represents a little bit of East Africa when he's there. All right, so tell us about uh, Lucky Summer, tell us about the church and the village, and you're outside Nairobi a little bit. Yeah, to the northern part of Nairobi and our region, uh, where like summer is, is um, quite a big place. It has about 194,000 in population. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of that, surprisingly, uh, 38% that are employed have no really good education background. Most of them um, are not career people. So it's a, a low-earning society, mm-hmm. and uh, um, many, many are, are employed, uh, unemployed, I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting society, and, but that's where our church is. So You want to move ahead? Let's, let's advance those slides. Take a- so our church is... Um, just doing several things. The top one is we praise, and maybe you can join us to enjoy this um, live worship. What's the song you're singing right there? That song means Lord of Lord. You are highlighting. Let's advance to the next one. Very nice. So after that, we sit down for the word and we teach. 
Well, we, we are a bit different, let me say this, but somehow I, I just get to enjoy both of them in, in specific ways. Our services can last like one hour preaching, between 45 minutes and one hour, very different from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but somehow it's okay for both of us, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is in our church, but in most churches around the um, the culture is the preacher can stop when it ends, mm -hmm. so they can start any time, and the end is not known. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Some of them say uh, it was the, the Holy Spirit took over. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, but well, <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, that's our Sunday, um, Sunday school. We have 35 children right now. We are thinking of how can we even provide for them some snacks. And the room where they, they are is tiny. We cannot put uh, chairs for them to sit. So they usually go throughout that, uh, through that um, while standing throughout the service. Mm -hmm. it's, a, uh, it's a wonderful thing to see the kids and to, to see them in worship as well. It's a, um, let's just advance. We'll keep talking our way through some of this. And another thing is, um, we every month we have, we set aside four days. Mm -hmm. In the evenings, we put our equipments outside in the open space, like you can see that. Mm -hmm. We do a crusade. Mm -hmm. We don't advertise. We just go set the equipment and start singing and dancing. Mm -hmm. And we do that for almost one and a half hour, between one and a half hours and two hours, and mm -hmm. out of curiosity, people will just come and standing in there. So before they know it, we start preaching. Mm -hmm. So um, that is, yeah, that is typically how they keep coming in. Mm -hmm. So at some point, like in uh, our, one of our crusades, we, we got 24 souls mm -hmm. getting born again, That's and the other ones are also just as similar. So we, that is why I was telling you the other time, all I need is equipment. I just want powerful equipment that can do a crusade. Sure. Because it's one of our very best um, way of, of evangelizing to the community. Very, very good. Talk to me about the Nanya house. Yeah, another outreach that we have is for orphan care. That lady smiling there, was arrested. She usually does, used to do um, illegal liquor brew. Okay. So she was a brewer. Okay. And time and again, the police would arrest her. And one time, uh, she got arrested. And while uh, she was being released, um, at the reception, some people brought in a, a three-day-old child that was um, dumped in a, in a, in a trash. So while the police were still struggling to know what next, this lady appeared and didn't leave until uh, she uh, requested them to give her the baby. So the, the lady was frequently known by the police. So each time they got a new baby, mm -hmm. they would call her until her house was full. Right now they are 35. Sometimes it was 40, but uh, because of we help her relocate children. Mm -hmm. We look for the people who might know them, their mm -hmm. families, you know. So right now they are 35. Mm -hmm. And this time we were, I usually bring the, our youths in the church. Our church <clears throat> is mostly youthful. Mm 
So our youth, we, we do donations and every month we visit with them, we bring food, clothes, and uh, this is one of our, our visitations. This is, uh, it, it, if it gets past you too quickly, it's just really an uncomfortable thing. This is, they're picking up children who were disposed of, thrown out. Can you imagine, and George and I talked about this a few days ago, there's a, a young boy now who's in the U.S. and adopted, but wonders, well, why did my mom discard me, throw me? And uh, there's no answer to that other than they want to, to somehow survive and they don't know where else, what else to do. So we need to give them some really good alternatives here. This house is a great way. Tell us about the birthday cake, would you? Yeah, uh, so one of the occasions we thought because we interact with the children so much and, yeah. and at some point we realized that none of them know when they were born. Yeah. So we thought of how do they celebrate a birthday. Yeah. We, we made a cake and uh, did a birthday for everybody. Yeah. So that cake was shared by all of them. This is your birthday cake, you know, and, and <laughs> it was amazing. So Something we take for granted, don't you? I mean, it's, it's your birthday. You know what it is, right? They don't know when their birthday is. Just little things like that that would do something to your psyche, I think, over time. This is wonderful stuff you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, and, and those that were giving gifts were, are our church members. Yeah. And then because the, the community is poor, most of the boys usually join gangs. And uh, one of the ways that we uh, try to attract the, the, uh, the young people, young, young boys, is to do uh, soccer. We call it football. Mm -hmm. So this is our uh, football academy. And uh, this year we have five, five of our team, um, uh, team members mm -hmm. join the uh, professional clubs within the country. Mm -hmm. They are now role models to the younger ones that are coming. Mm -hmm. So that is a great thing that we have. Also. Wonderful thing. When we were in Kenya a few years ago, we got to see some kids play. And it's yeah. a wonderful thing to watch them. I was exhausted watching them play. Uh, they, their endless energy. Um, Playing on a dart. What's that? In a, in a pitch which is dart, there is no grass. Yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah it's all dust. So, uh, Talk to us about the church building. Yeah. Yeah, we so we have, a, we have a future vision of building this church. Actually, on July 5th, we have a fundraising that is going to be geared towards building the walls of this, this church. Right now, as, it, as I am here, it's raining and many families don't come because children will get sick. Mm -hmm. There is a very cold um, weather. So we want to set this. If you see uh, those stones down there, the slabs, we, we challenged ourselves at some point because our, our floor was dusty. When people dance, the, the, the dust keeps flying. And so these stones each is $3. So people donated. Some people donated half. Some did um, one, five, ten, until we could do this. Mm -hmm. And we, we do it by ourselves because we cannot hire somebody. We don't have that money. Mm -hmm. So we thought, instead of hiring, why can't we do it ourselves? So people sacrificed a whole day to lay that. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the next one. I want to, I want you, and I want us to be a part of that too, okay? So we're going to come back to this in a minute. So this is how we, we want to look like. We want to do um, a wooden structure and then put um, corrugated iron sheets 
and one uh, we are going to have to need like 265 sheets one is um, 35 i mean 13 dollars each mm -hmm. so uh, this is a very great opportunity one can yeah. can get into and right just donate this is something that we can get our arms around because I, I think our kids uh could save up three bucks and buy a stone buy a piece of the slab the floor and um if if people at SBC would each buy a panel, we'd, we'd wrap that building in no time. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't be hard to do at all at 13 bucks a pop. That's corrugated steel. John, that meets code, right? Is that yeah. It? Okay, just checking. <laughs> all right, good. Yeah. Plus, if I were to plug it in, it would be part antenna. It, we, could, yeah. we could get better reception, which would... So I, I want you to think about that because uh, uh, it wouldn't be hard for if everybody just pitched in 13 bucks, we could wrap the building in no time our kids would sell some lemonade on a stand and make the three bucks and off they go to buy a stone be a good thing so one more slide here right yeah one more well oh, yeah, yeah okay a couple of slides sometimes it looks like that you know that that was our architectural structure but uh, well these iron sheets are old because look at them and they have been used in like almost one or two places ripped off and rebuilt ripped off and so it's kind of a bit old ours will be looking better than that it certainly will yeah because <laughs> it's ours <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah and what we'll do is we're going to hammer and screw it down so no one can steal the panels <laughs> right now they won't yeah that's right they won't yeah. we have a very good relationship with the um with the police Good. We formed a network of churches, and every time and again we visit the head of the station, yeah. and we just share with him how the security is. We talk about the role of the church in yeah. security matters, and yeah. the role of the police. Sure. And so sometimes he, he pops in during our services. He can yeah. go to one of the churches yeah. and just fellowship with us. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it will be very hard for any, anybody to steal Wonderful. from us. It's a good thing. If it, if it isn't good, you let me know. We'll send... John over <laughs> for a couple of days, right? Sure. And when he's done, we'll send the Lockleys and they'll feed you. I will be glad. So, I, will be, I will be glad, man, well, because singing praises after getting full. Yes, it's that's something. Right. Need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one, one more slide then, right? <clears throat> so yeah. this is our future dream, also with with our network um, sister church. We were just thinking crazily. Because we see your services sometimes start here when we are five o'clock in the evening in Kenya. Sure. We can do an evening service that Sunday. Yep. So if we, if we decide to do like once after two months, once a month, you know, we can say this day we are going to join our sister church. That'd be fun. And, and you just set a screen and we do it live. Why not? Because the world has gone digital. Yeah. So yes. we can do it. Yes, we can get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when the team from SBC was in Kenya, we had internet access every day, all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Banking, everything that you needed was right there. It was, it was super. Um, so there are some edges of the technology that are very common. Cell phones were everywhere there. It was very, very common. So um, I am really grateful. I mean, before, we, before I let this crew go, let me tell you a little something we're working on. Um, Keith Williamson and I, Keith, would you raise your hand? Keith's an elder at SBC. Keith and I are going to go to Guatemala in a few weeks, just for a few days. And we're, we're going to go back to close to where Lockley's 
are, are, and we're going to look at what's called a care point there. It's a local church that also serves as an education and feeding bank, but they only do it through that local church in a, in a batch of kids at a time. And it's similar to what some of us are involved in through World Vision or Compassion International, where you um, support a child. Similar to that, but all the children come from one village going to the same church. It's a really good um, a, a model because then you get... Uh, you have a place you could actually visit. You, have, uh, you know there's a really good support system. We think that model would work well in Kenya as well. And the company that we're going to go with to, to Guatemala is in Uganda, which is not far from Kenya. And we think that they could cross that border and do the same model in Kenya. So be looking for us to uh, present something towards the fall. But um, in June, Keith and I are going to go for a few days and check it out. It's really a really good thing. Thank you. Um, thank yes, you. thank I? you so much for giving us some eyes and ears. Would you join me in thanking the team? <laughs> thank you. This, um, uh, the potential of this is just amazing. You think of the simple things that could be done. Anybody could do this. It doesn't take a ton of money to make a huge amount of impact. But before I let you go, I just want to give to you one verse and then a number of disturbing statistics, but one verse from James chapter 1, verse 27. And it's religion. Some translations say true religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So Father in heaven, May you seal in our hearts the impact of this one truth that if we're to be people of true faith who trust you and call ourselves Christian, that our religion would, uh, would live itself out, uh, not necessarily in where we show up on Sunday mornings, although that's a good thing, not necessarily that we pray over a meal, although that's a good thing, or our daily quiet time, and that's a good thing. But Lord, May there be an impact in the world around us, particularly with widows and orphans, those who could never repay us because we have been paid off a debt that we could never pay off ourselves, and that's the gospel. What Jesus has done for us, we could never pay back. And now in smaller doses, Lord, we want to act like Jesus and be people who care for people who would never be able to do anything but say thank you. And so for that, Lord, we, we ask that you would seal that, burn it into, the, into the, our heart, into our head, into our action. We pray for life change at this one point. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nothing speaks quite like action. Nothing tells a story quite like your actions. If you were to care for a widow or an orphan, that's caring for someone who could never pay you back. But today, orphans around the world, and an orphan by UNICEF terms, by different uh, groups that, that, that quantify these things, an orphan may be someone who's lost one parent, certainly two, but they, uh, they have also included someone who's just lost one or is not capable of caring for the child. There's 17.9 million double orphans, which means there's neither a mom or a dad there. It means they're just floating. 17,900,000 of them in the world today. That is staggering, and it is absolutely unsolvable from the U.S. perspective. 
That would mean in order for the U.S. to solve this, that would mean every couple in the U.S., every third couple would be adopting. And, and it's not, our economy couldn't handle it. The court system couldn't choke it down. <clears throat> this educational system wouldn't be able to take the flood of new bodies in the country. The language and all the things that go with it, it just, it's not solvable. It is overwhelming. And you hear this about just the food and, and, the, and all the, the special needs just in Honduras, Guatemala, and then Kenya. Those are only three of the 200 countries in the world. So how are we going to do this? Well, let me draw in just a little bit closer to the U.S. There are about 400,000 in the foster care system in the U.S. today. 115,000 of those are adoptable uh, children. That means the others are not, which means mom and dad may be in prison or may be away or un not capable or not deemed as capable, but maybe one day might be. And we're all in favor of that. If, if a parent can take care of their children, I, I'm 100% in favor of that because God gives children to families, to moms and dads, not to government, not to the church, but to the mom and dad, to parents. A man and a woman are the, is that united marriage that creates the family. So we're all about the pro-family. But that just means that's that many more children that cannot be adopted out because they're in limbo. They're kind of held. And that, that will, find, will damage them over time. Because if you're in that system too long, you become free float for too long. You don't advance like you could and should. 40% of those children will wait over three years before being adopted. And those are the ones that get adopted, and only a third of them are available for adoption. And 40% of them will, will mean that, that three years of their life, they're waiting to be adopted, which means 15% of their life is in hold, which means they're, they're held back, and it's hard for us to get our heads around that, because the scars, the emotional toll, the self-image, the whole security issue, that's huge. We can't even quantify that. But if you were to quantify it just in mathematical terms, what you'd realize is this. 15% of that child's childhood, 15% of it is lost because he's in a holding pattern. That would mean you're going to take a test and the, and the guy next to you or the gal next to you, they can score 100 on the test. The highest score you're ever going to get is 85%, 15% less. Which means they can score an A, but the highest you'll ever get, if everything else is perfect, is a C. So they start out in life way behind and, and it, it isn't a level playing field for them. They can't compete in a world economy. It's really going to be tough. U.S. foster children have to wait over three years before placement, and 55% of them will move from home to home three or four placements before. This is over half of them before they, even, they land where they're going to stay. 33% will change elementary school five or more times. Just think of it if you had to make five new sets of friends in the six years you're in elementary school. You don't get good friendships. You certainly don't get trusting friendships. You're fairly disconnected. So connections even and trust is going to become an issue. I maybe have told you this story before, but my dad pastored a church in Indianapolis. He had a couple in his church. They had raised their kids. They were a young couple. They got married early, had their kids early. So they're middle-aged. They still have a lot of life in front of them, but their kids are gone. They say, let's do a little foster care. So they take in this little kid nobody wants. This kid's bumped around from home to home to home, and he's got like big glasses with lots of white tape, you know, right here, you know. He's just gangly. He's, a, he's an unusual kid, just a huggable, lovable kid, but quite a kid with a flare of anger because he's, he's been bumped around so much. Well, they decide after keeping this kid 
six months. By the way, I can't do foster care. Some of us, some of us in the room, you're saying right now, well, I could adopt, I could do foster care. I'm telling you, I can't do foster care. I'll tell you why. Because if you put a kid in my home for six months, I'm not going to hand that kid back. <laughs> Who are you kidding? I'm going into hiding. You're never going to find me. Yeah. Because, you know, and so Juan and I have talked about that. Could, could we do foster care? Well, maybe we could. Could we? Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Well, Bill and Bernice did foster care. And they decided, well, we want to keep this little guy. We like to adopt him. But he had been in more homes than they could count. Well, one day, Bernice was home alone. The little guy was in school, elementary school. And, and this kid didn't have much. He had a little suitcase. And he had, you know that little cot that's aluminum that folds up in half? It's got a mattress about that thick. And it's got the little springs. That's what the county gave that kid to sleep on. And that's what went with the kid. So he had this cot that folded in half and this one suitcase. That's all his worldly goods. Well, Bernice decided she wanted to clean his room really well. So she, she pulled everything out of that room and mopped. The, it was a tile floor, 12-inch square tile floor. So she mopped it, let it set, mopped it again. Then she waxed it and then wanted to put another layer on. But you know how it is with wax. You really want to let it sit there a while. So she left it there. That kid came home from school that day, walked down the hall, and went screaming out the door. He was just screaming wild. She couldn't contain him. She couldn't get a hold of him. She got a hold of him, had to lay on top of him to get him to settle down. Calls her husband home from work. They cannot figure it out. They finally get him into the social worker, and they load him up, and he is just madder than mad, screaming and tearing up Ned, ripping the house to shreds. And they don't know why. And they finally get to the social worker and find out why. Because the cot's in the hall. And the cot in the hall means I'm being kicked out again. And they said, no, we're not kicking you out. We want to adopt you. He says, nobody wants to adopt me. See how set back they are? And that's a, that's a kid in the U.S. where we're way ahead of the rest of the world. Long story short, they adopted him, lived happily ever after. You know how that goes. It's the end of the movie there. They, they ended up adopting that little guy. But it was holy terror, and they didn't know what was configured out because he'd been jerked around so many times. Whenever he saw the suitcase or the cot moved, he knew he was done. And that's a bad way for a kid to be raised. kid needs to be, have a whole lot more security than that. And, and uh, there are 27,000 foster children who will actually age out of the system before um, being placed. So they'll age out of the system without the emotional, financial, educational support. So only 25, uh, uh, 25% will not graduate from high school. And... And that, and that will translate to mean only 6% will finish just a two-year degree at the local community college, which means they will not have the earning come potential. Not that they aren't capable, but no one's going to give them that opportunity. 8,600 adoptions happened in the year 2012 in the U.S., 8,600. In the year 2004, it was 22, almost 23,000. And what drove that number down? You know what it was? It was the economy. Because people don't have the money because adoption is expensive. Even if you go to the county and go to a child that's aging up through the system, that's the cheapest way you can go, even that's $2,500. But if you go into a system and adopt in a traditional way, it's fifteen dollars to $40,000. 
per child, and then, and, and then you start the process of paying for their livelihood, for their life. It is very expensive. So you're saying right now, honey, we could not adopt. Well, then support someone who is adopting. Help someone down the road from you, a younger couple who says, yeah, we could do this. Because that would be a wonderful gift, because that would be religion that God accepts as wonderful, is to look after widows and orphans. So if you can't do one part, you could certainly do another. Because this, and by the way, the system is, when I say fifteen dollars to $40,000, that's just court costs and attorneys, because you want to make sure the paperwork is done correctly. It, but it is, it is expensive. And going international is the same way, except that the risk is higher. And on top of that, you couldn't bring all the babies from all over the world here, because if you did, you could only solve that problem for one year, and the next year you'd be that much further behind, because we cannot keep up with it. I think the long-term solution is to do what we're doing here. We have to keep those children in the countries and, and look for adoptions there and, and support that system along its way and, and encourage good, strong family life there. And in doing that, that's true religion that God accepts as good stuff to look after widows and orphans. It doesn't say just in our country. No, it's to look after widows and orphans and to keep yourself from being uh, spotted in the world. Well, let me give to you three points, and I'm going to quit. wouldn't be a sermon without three points, right? Here we go. It's our privileged position. That's where we are. We know we are people of, of privilege. We know that because we are adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, we're redeemed under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons, sonship. And we have within our hands this ability to do good, Proverbs 3. So we do not withhold good. We know we're in a privileged place, not only spiritually, but we know it because we live in the land of privilege. Number two, not only our, our privileged position, but there's the principle of compassion. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That includes us, but that doesn't mean just us. It means all of the world, Matthew 22, it was Jesus who demonstrated compassion. And if we want to be like Jesus, that has to be us. And it's easy. I don't know about you, and I need you to show your hands at this. You ever turn Christian radio on, and they're talking about, if you just send us a few bucks for a child overseas, and you just turn it off. You ever done that? Have you ever turned on Christian TV, and they're doing the same thing? You just say, I can't watch that right now. I'm, just, I'm a little too weary. Anybody else besides me have done that? Yeah, look around. You're not alone. Yes. It just happens, right? And if you're not careful, I mean, I, I, some days I just can't do that because I'm already overwhelmed. Other times, I, I, it, isn't, I, I, it isn't that I'm overwhelmed. I just get callous to it. And that's what we have to be careful of, that we're not callous and that we're compassionate people. I'm reminded of the old man who walked along the shore after there had been a huge storm on that ocean. And along the shore, you know how what the, uh, the ocean does, it throws up onto the beach all the seaweed and sludge and branches and there all kinds of things come from the bottom of the ocean. And then along with that, this particular shore had tens of thousands of starfish. And this, this old guy was picking up a starfish and flinging it back in, picking up another and flinging it back in, picking up another. Just as he walked, he just, just was flinging fish back in who had been heaved up out of the shore and onto the, uh, onto the beach. Another man walking the other way walked by him and said, what are you doing? He says, I'm throwing starfish back in. 
He says, there's tens and thousands of them. You'll never get them all. And, and he says, I know. And, and he leans down, he grabs up one more, and he chucks it in. He says, but I made a difference in that one. You know, in other words, I can't, get, I can't save them all, but I can, I can save a few. And the ones that I can, I'm going to do. So he did. And that's the kind of the way you have to view this. You cannot save the world. But certainly you could do your part because God has been compassionate towards you. You're in a privileged position. And it is the principle of compassion. One more. And it's the potential of impact. The potential of impact. Esther was adopted. Old Testament character Esther. She grew up. Her uncle Mordecai adopted her. And she went on to make a speech before the ruling king of that day that saved her people from being annihilated. They would have been mowed down, killed that day, if Esther hadn't spoken up. And that's why she was born, for such a time as this. When, when you act in good faith towards a little one, like Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai did with little Esther, you don't know the potential good, the potential great impact that could happen. The contemporary illustration of that is a young couple that took on a little boy, unmarried woman in the 1930s, found herself pregnant and without uh, the ability to support her child. And this New Jersey young woman from New Jersey gives birth to this little boy, sets him up for adoption. This couple by the name of Thomas is their last name. They, They adopted this little guy. They called him David. And he grew up, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, different places. Dad lived with jobs. But that adoptive mother died when that little boy was just five. So this guy's lost a mom twice now by the age of five. His dad's a businessman, moves to Michigan, different places. And all along, uh, he goes, actually, Dave spends some time with his grandmother in Michigan. And... Uh, and doesn't complete high school, and he's just kind of floating along. But he lands in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and in a little restaurant where they teach him the skills, and he helps build the business at that restaurant. And he meets a guy who's going to help in a franchising a restaurant. And that guy makes chicken, and he's from Kentucky. And he had met Colonel Sanders. And he helped develop the bucket and the the whole idea of keeping chicken crisp, and that was part of what this young guy did with Colonel Sanders. But Dave Thomas didn't stay in chicken, because you know the rest of the story, don't you? He went on to found a little burger shop in Columbus, Ohio, that he named after a daughter named Wendy. And Wendy's Old Fashioned Burgers, when Dave Thomas died, there were 6,000 Wendy's restaurants in the, in the country. But that's not really his mark to fame either. Because if you go to the Wendy's site today, go to the Wendy's site this afternoon, you'll see Dave Thomas and all that. But do you know what you'll see at the bottom? You'll see an adoption network that Wendy's has set up. Why? Because Dave Thomas is not committed to great burgers. He's committed to a great life. He went back and he finished high school, by the way, uh, late, late in life. We always regretted dropping out. Helped other people. Became a very benevolent guy uh, who helps now even in, in his death. He's died at the age of 69. But you do not know the potential that you take in when you take in a little one. You just don't. And that potential could be like Esther. Saves the nation, makes a difference. But we do know this. 
We know this. No matter what you do, Jesus promises when you act like he does, he says, I will not leave you like orphans. If you're to follow Jesus, we don't leave people like orphans. We will stay with them. We'll hang with them. That's the good news of the gospel. And the good news is this. Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves, and he pays a debt we can never pay off. And so we, we can't pay Jesus back. There's no way. But in some small way, when you care for the next generation or for the generation in front of you by caring for a widow, when you care for that next generation, that is in and of itself a great sermon, a great message that you care for what Jesus cares for and you care for people who could never pay you back and nor would you ever ask for it. So I'm going to encourage you in the, in the days ahead. Maybe you're going to go on a building trip or a food trip or a music trip or an educational trip. Maybe you're an analyst, you go on an analyst trip. It doesn't really matter what you'll do, but I just encourage you to leave the country and do something great. And, and if, you, if you don't do that, then get involved in someone else's life that's doing it and support them along the way. I want you to think really hard and long about foster care. Don't ask me to do it because I already know the answer. No, I can't. You know, but, or, and then look at this option of adoption. I, it's a wonderful thing to do because it's what, it's what true religion is. Undefiled before God. Care for the widows and the orphans in their need and to keep yourself un, unspotted from the world. Amen? Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. We are grateful, Lord, that even be, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, paid a debt we could never pay on our own. Lord, and may we live out our faith, we pray, in practical, meaningful ways, remembering the wonderful grace that is ours in Christ. And may, as your people, um, may we make a difference in our generation, not just for human uh, levels or a human dimension that would be lost but because of a greater spiritual not just a, an event but a great picture a great model too we're called to be servants may we be that all the days of our lives we pray in jesus matchless name church says amen